Before we start the episode, we have a few new reviews to shout out. Woo! The first is from Ruby Soho or Ruby Sozo's, depending on how you're going to pronounce those X's, which is an incredible username. Ruby Sozo's, thank you so much for your review. Our rating for you is you are delightful. You call us delightful. We're turning it right back. That sounds like a humble brag. I'm so awkward when I do these. <laughs> Thank you so much for the review. Our second review is from user Melissa Navarro Will. Um, Sounds familiar. Sounds like a dear friend of mine from college. And your rating, Missy, is trying Redwall again because you are an adult woman who maybe enjoys books about anthropomorphic mice. There's a badger too. Consider it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate both of you. And if you listening out there, leave us an Apple podcast review. You will get your very own badass lady meter rating. And with how great those were, how can you say no? Here's the episode. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. That's what we do. This week, The Egypt Game by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very enjoyable. And the the cover that you sent me, the like old cover that we had is delightful. I love everything about this book. I had a period of my childhood where I think it was a summer and I would read it, put it down, and then like a day later read it again. Yeah. Just in infinite readings and heavy, readings heavy readings. comfort reading, yeah. Oh yeah. I love this book so much. Um you listen to an audiobook, right? Mm, the audiobook was quite good. I don't know if you remember, but it also has gorgeous illustrations, these charcoal, these ah. kind of smudgy charcoal drawings that are so good. Okay, let um, me let me see if I can pull those up. Everything about it is just endlessly appealing. And today is the first time I really, you know, researched this book at all and it was actually published in when when do you think this book was published? I'm curious. You could even say a decade. I'm going to say the 80s. The 60s. Okay. Yeah. The, the slang that they use, I was like unfamiliar with. <laughs> yes. That, that makes sense to me because, yeah, I was like, well, it's kind of weird. Like maybe it's 80s slang, but it makes sense if it's like older, but kids in, in the 60s. The thing that grounded it the most in American history, especially in the Berkeley area for me, was the kids talking about going to demonstrations at the college. Because I figured if it was post or during the Vietnam War, Uh, it would be more specific than that. Um, This seemed a little vaguer. Yeah, but it's also... All the people in it are either academics, the adults, I mean, are either academics or, you know, in Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> vaguely, whatever in the Hollywood scene. mom is doing. Yeah, I mean. So that makes it kind of hard to put a time period to. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm finding some of the pictures and they are great. 
beautiful illustrations. They feel foreboding, but also just full of childhood joy. Like the kids are all so starry eyed as Marshall is when he gives his smiles. <laughs> Their facial expressions really are, are lovely. So this book is, I guess technically this wasn't a listener request. We were doing a lot of requests. This was a grace request. And we'll talk, I think, at length about this during our episode, but many would quibble, I imagine, with us calling this a fantasy book. But I contend that there is quite a bit of magic present in the book. Yeah. It is just created by kids as opposed to some external force. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, it's about making your own magic. And which I very we could much all use a little more of that. Yeah. So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you haven't read this in a while or haven't read it before, skedaddle off to the to Set's throne, sit underneath it and just give it a read. It's it's a pretty fast read. The audiobook is like 5 hours long. So we've lost our childhood copy. I've um, managed to hold on to Witches of Worm and the Gypsy game. This is gone, probably disintegrated. So we're going to describe the uh, cover, how the publisher chose to package and promote the book um, for the edition that we had when we were kids, which was the Yearling Newberry edition. I always yeah. hated that they had that giant red text against a white background on yeah. all of their books. It really messed with the covers. And as you can see... that stupid horse on it (laughs) who cares about horses not me (laughs) and as you can see it is a noob not just an honor but a winner got a noob medal it's a winner baby (laughs) and there's the professor in the background i just noticed yeah yeah it's madeline's job to talk about the cover i'm (laughs) stepping all over your toes forgive me um so we have them um in the like gathered around the altar there is we see the bust of nefertiti off to one side it is uh, all four of the original crew Mm -hmm. um not including the two sixth grade boys uh and uh, security features promptly uh (laughs) which i really really love um everyone's hats are fantastic the vibe is good (laughs) it's a great vibe yeah yeah yeah, everyone just looks so happy um and yeah we have the professor like looking through his window i've you know, figured he was probably a little more obscured than that. I feel like that. <laughs> yeah, he standing at his window. It's a little hole. Yeah, <laughs> like pulling the entire curtain back to see his whole figure in the window. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily faithful. Uh, but the cover this is so should be great. Under, this should be in the dictionary under looking out of a window. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's, just... his glasses are glowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but... And then right away, we're getting a clue that Marshall knows that he's yeah, watching them. Because Marshall is like yeah. making eye contact with him. <laughs> um, and uh, I just want to point out that, that it's a very, very famous bust of Nefertiti. I'm sure that yes. everyone's seen it. Um, and this is a replication, not like the actual uh, Nefertiti bus naturally. And there is also a replication that you could buy from Red in Animal Crossing. And I don't think I've ever gotten <laughs> the real bust of Nefertiti, but I have like five fakes that I just keep like putting around town and giving to villagers. Do you, so you don't obsessively look up each of the pieces, I, you just gamble? 
I no, I mean like usually. Okay, yeah, usually well, you're I'm, just bad at it. Yeah, I think that's actually the problem. Like, because I'll look it up one time after I get a fake, and then the next time I'm like, oh, okay, I remember it. This is not a fake, and then I buy the fake again. <laughs> I have so many drawings of that stupid vegetable man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Great. Um, Well, I just don't play that often, so I don't think my fine art section of my museum will ever be finished. But Mine won't either, because all I can buy is fakes. (laughs) I've only ever gotten one fake. Wow. Well, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Okay, so anything else we want to mention about the cover? I love that their costumes are true to the way that they created them like Marshall's is clearly made from a bleach bottle with a bowling pin inside of it yeah no like you can very clearly see that yeah um and April does not have her eyelashes on which also makes sense because she stopped wearing them yes by this point she was not wearing them Yeah. yeah um I also just love like In all the books we've covered, and we, especially as time has gone on, have aimed to cover books with more and more diverse characters, Mm -hmm. but it's still really rare to see an older children's or YA fantasy book where right away on the cover, there's a cast of people and most of them aren't white. Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah, no, for sure. And that actually does make it a lot of sense that it is. it was written in the 60s because some of the terminology that's used is mm-hmm. like a little surprisingly outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was written in the 60s, then it's actually like very progressive. <laughs> right. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, yeah, the diversity is done sincerely and you mm-hmm. can tell like it's a great example of how that enriches the story because there's like mm-hmm. so much more um, mm-hmm. family wise and just culturally uh, like differences yeah. that are interesting that come in as opposed to like it just being all a bunch of white kids um, and like the only difference between them is class yeah, which is what you just, get a lot in, in right. situations like this and interestingly the kids in this book are really of the same socioeconomic level because most yeah. of them live in the same building mm-hmm. um, so their families can you know afford the same type of housing and then yeah. when the two older boys come in they're also from their neighborhood um, so I really liked that we got away from that stratification mm-hmm. and instead are, like you said, combining different cultures. It's just, it just makes for such a better, more interesting story. Yeah. And I guess, especially one that's explicitly about appreciating other cultures. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess that in fantasy in general, it, the, the prince and the pauper is a super, super common trope in the introduction which i if it was in the audiobook i imagine you skipped it <laughs> no i so listened to, from start to finish but it wasn't in oh, there great. okay they, I'm sorry. that's I'm, that's usually the problem with audiobooks is they don't yeah. they just don't have the intro just in there cut it um, yeah, but with sense. written books i will usually skip it anyway <laughs> I know. I I wasn't trying to diss you. But I, just, I just can't focus on it. It's not the story. <laughs> I, I just imagine you as an English major as I was, and I don't. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened. No, I was a Russian major. Like, <laughs> no. 
<laughs> not just in English like, writing at all. about writing. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, so I loved that in the introduction, which was from written by Sylvia Keeley Snyder herself. Um, she was just talking about how people often ask her where her ideas come from and talked a little bit about the roots of this book. And a big piece of it was that um, all of the main characters are based on people who were in a class that she taught in Berkeley while her husband was in grad school. Um, and she just changed their ages a uh, bit, but okay. their ethnicities and their families and different things about them um, were closer to these students oh, that she had. That's lovely. Which is really cool. Yeah, um, I like that a lot. And, and then her daughter also, when she was in sixth grade, became obsessed with her mom's talking about when she was obsessed with Egypt when she was uh, a little kid. We went through an and Egypt then, phase, an ancient Egypt phase, I should say. Truly, yeah. yeah. I, th- that was one reason I loved this book so much when I was a kid. Um, we had like one of those, I don't know if it, I, it was Klutz, Klutz for mm-hmm. kids or whatever, you know, those books. Klutz was such an amazing company. I'm curious about who else remembers it. And maybe it was just in the U.S. Mm, I don't okay. know if our listeners yeah. in other countries were familiar at all. Let us know. I'm really curious because I have looked up Klutz in recent years because we have a seven-year-old sister. Yeah. And I've wanted to get some of the incredible books and how-to kits. Because they, they, all, they all came with the stuff. I think that, I think yeah. that the company's model it's like um this is wow really and the art and design were so well done like they were all so different and unique and you could tell that they really put a lot of effort and thought into everything that they made it never felt generic yeah no exactly and it it was very clear that they made the written materials around the craft like they started Mm -hmm. with the craft and built it that way so Mm -hmm. it was also just like I don't know. They were they were so great. But yeah, we had one. It, it might have been from like fancier and from like the uh, museum, like the field museum or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little mummy kit, and it the like yeah. the, it had the oh little God, clay canopic jars, and like yes. came with like little wrappings and stuff. Like it was really cool, and the 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 materials were not plastic; they were actually like stone or clay. It felt real. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. And um, we did mummify a number of toys as a result of that influence. (laughs) I did. I had totally forgotten the mummy kid. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's kind of a universal phase to some extent. And I'm glad you mentioned the Field Museum because they had an incredible ancient Egypt yeah. and mummy, um, like ongoing exhibit. I don't, or I think it there was, was there my whole one. life. There was a there, special one. But there one. was also a special one that came when we were like around the right age, but exactly. they also had the ongoing exhibit. The yeah. permanent exhibit. Yeah. They mm-hmm. had King Tut for a while, but I didn't get to see him. Very relatable. Um, she said that, uh, this is the last thing I'll say and then we can move on. <laughs> Lots of tangents today. Yeah. That's um, just going to happen. It's an old classic. Yeah. We care old a lot. favorite, I should say. An old favorite. She said, so her daughter started her own version of the Egypt game. Her game was much more complicated than mine and involved many of the activities I described in the story, including the mummification of our parakeet, oh, who, like it. Elizabeth's Prince Pete Hotep, died by feline assassination. I wondered <laughs> how she knew. It's so 
good. To describe the grossness of the parrot after they left it in brine all night. <laughs> I, I did kind of be like, that sounds kind of like she knew what would happen. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. The specifics of mummifying a bird yeah. are just too good. Yeah, it was very good. Um, so there, a lot of love went into the creation of this book, too, because she was writing about her daughter and her yeah. students and then her own childhood imaginings. And, and you can and tell we, how much love there is in it. Yeah. We have one other episode on a Zelda Keatley Snyder book, The Witches of Worm, yeah, which, is uh, also which I also book. am just obsessed with. And we really want to cover more of her books. I've been uh, communicating with listener Kevin on social media about the Green Sky trilogy, which I somehow never read. Um, but sounds really incredible. Cool. So more to come. Yeah. But first... Let's talk about this plot. So the Egypt game centers on a group of children who live in the same apartment building in Berkeley, California. It opens with a young girl who, I think they're in sixth grade, right? Yeah. April and Melanie, mm-hmm. um, who's in sixth grade, and she's been sent by her mother to live with her grandmother in this apartment building. Her mom does something in the entertainment industry. She sings and dances and is an actress, and ha- but on top of those jobs, has a full-time job of being a bad mom. So yeah, she she's, got rid of her daughter. Yeah, terrifically bad mother. She literally mm. just is like, I no, I don't want to be a parent. Go live with your dad's mom. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And it's and Caroline, the grandmother, is actually her dad's mom. So like there's another degree of separation there, but she is all too ready and willing to be a mother figure for April. Yeah. So her grandmother um, kind of forces her to meet some other kids in the building and she meets a girl named Melanie and pretty quickly they realize that they are meant for one another very in a friendship, friendship compatible yeah. <laughs> yeah they both have really impressive imaginations and they love coming up with really involved make believe games yeah. but deeper than when you say playing pretend they create full worlds that they then inhabit like april knows discovers this about melanie when she sees that there are dolls of people that are flattened inside one of her books and she tells her that she's created all of these different families Mm -hmm. and backstories and complex relationships and you know, lives that out with them. Yeah, it's like The Sims, only uh, analog. It is analog. It's like when we had a a box and one of us would sit in the box and be the computer. (laughs) We did a lot of this kind of playing, which we'll talk about in old and new impressions for sure. So April and Melanie become great friends and her four-year-old brother Marshall is always with them because their parents work and um, he needs to be taken care of. I like and a lot Marshall, that they like having him around. Like they're, you know. They're, they're generally really sweet to him. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll make him a little bit of the butt of the joke, but then when he gets angry or sad, they're like, no, Marshall, no, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And he has a stuffed octopus named Security that he takes everywhere with him. (laughs) Very cute. Yeah, it's really cute. 
So they are exploring their neighborhood and discover a back lot that is behind an antique shop that's run by a man that all the neighborhood kids are a little scared of just because he's mysterious and very quiet and his shop is dark and full of odd items and he's never really in the neighborhood or the community and just kind of keeps to himself. He is but a hermit. He is a hermit, a self-professed hermit, we learn yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. But they find a way through the alley behind the shop into the back lot. And there they clean it up and create their own ancient Egypt. Yeah. They've become very interested in Egypt and they've taken all the books that the library has out about ancient Egypt and just pretty much memorize them. Melanie more than April. April's always asking for specifics when she forgets the names of different gods and goddesses and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, but right away, they begin to create their own rituals and temples. They have a bust of Nefertiti. They have a weird, like, mud statue that they create for set mm -hmm. and then they have an old stuffed owl for thoth so they begin to create a more and more complex world within their egypt and they call it the egypt game marshall becomes a boy pharaoh named marshamosis april and melanie are high priestesses largely and their devotion to different gods changes and they play out different plots related to the different gods and set is always being evil mm -hmm. and trying to get up to trouble which is true in egyptian mythology set is yes he's a big old jerk <laughs> that's right yeah and they absolutely love it so they bring in another new neighbor, a girl named Elizabeth, who has moved into their building. And she is of an age between them and Marshall. I think she's in like fourth grade. She's mm -hmm. a few years younger um, and not quite as advanced in her imagination capacity, but she loves it and is so excited to get involved. And then Elizabeth is assigned to play the role of Nefertiti and they all make these really cool costumes for the Egypt game, but they say it's for trick-or-treating because Halloween is coming up. Yeah. So they have gorgeous headdresses. And I, I had a Cleopatra. And it was from like a Halloween store. It came in the plastic bag, but I, <laughs> a Patrick had a Pharaoh one. Man, we, we should have been like the, the gods or like Anubis or something. That would have been cool. Anubis would be an amazing children's Halloween. Would have been tough. Yeah, I feel like mom would have been like, no, I can't make you a like dog human it. costume. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, much less one related to the world of the dead. Oh, yeah. So April has become really close with Melanie and then she has great friends and Elizabeth and Marshall too and she had been kind of a weirdo 
a bit of an outsider. When she first moved to town, she always wore fake eyelashes and she wore her hair in an updo um, and was trying to retain her Hollywood ways and like stay close to the L.A. vibes. Yeah. um, And I was honestly impressed by her devotion to her Mm -hmm. fake eyelashes. I have never put fake eyelashes on in my life because I know first, I mean, it's horrible. I hardly ever wear makeup anymore anyways. So when I do if I do like a fancy face for a night out, like I don't need the eyelashes because I already look way more dolled up than usual. Because um, yeah. I, I totally, like I watch a lot of Drag Race, uh, um, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, and uh, I know how important eyelashes are for costumes, but the way that she describes them, like they literally close her eyes. Like they're so heavy and so well, big because I she's really 11 doubt she's too. applying them correctly. Right, for and sure. And the fact that, I mean, you can you can reuse eyelashes, but you don't want to use for the like same pair every day for months. Yeah, like no, that's I, that's how you get some real gnarly eye infections. I think. Yeah, well, I've worn them a few times, like some for theater, and then once um, for a friend's wedding I was in, where she wanted us to all get our makeup done the same way. Okay, and, yeah. and it, so it looks I, great in pictures too. If right in like pictures, it looks the great. right fit, and you put them in on right person. Like even when they were applied by you know a professional, I too felt like my eyes were constantly closing and then as soon as I was through with my bridesmaid duties like by the time dinner was over I just pulled them off yeah like they were so horrible yeah but in making friends with Melanie who is like you know well liked at school and like a quote-unquote normal kid April has been able to get through the school year so far and like been ingratiated into the student body yeah, because without Melanie, too much bullying. Right. And April also punches anyone in the nose if they are mean to her. So that yeah. helps deter people. Not that we're advocating violence, but it's good to stand up for yourself. I'll say that much. Yeah. And I mean, the, a punch might be warranted. You know, in, in law, in, in many uh, criminal penal codes, you can uh, meet the force with equal or lesser force and that's protected because like you're that's defense so like depending on the what she was having targeted at her i would argue that it was aggression that was okay to respond to with punch but i don't know if a judge would agree with me <laughs> madeline's legal corner madeline's law Put corner two. it's coming whether you like it or not <laughs> i want you to have like a law and order style theme. Dun, dun. yeah just dun, put dun. in the little effect <laughs> <laughs> so we're it's close to Halloween and something horrible happens which is that a little girl who lives in their neighborhood goes missing and then one day later her body is found and it's clear that she was murdered it's dark it's, it's weird to suddenly switch to talking about a murdered child when yeah. we've been having such a fun goofy time talking about pretend games in ancient egypt but it's very um, rooted in reality because horrible things it do happen feels true to life yeah it does so the parents the parents won't let the kids go out and play in the neighborhood the same way that they did Um, and they are pretty much stuck at home for a while. And when Halloween comes around, 
They are allowed to go trick-or-treating in a large group of other students um, like a, chaperoned a by a few parents. Group. Yeah. yeah, a big group of kids that all live you know, on their block or nearby. They decide that this is the perfect time for them to go back to Egypt for the first time in quite a while um, if they can manage to get away from the group. So they do this, they make it into the alley, and while they're there and performing a ritual, two boys from their class come over the fence and surprise them because they followed them, they saw them sneak away. And they're like cool boys. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah, they're athletic and popular. Well, one is very athletic and popular, and the other one's like the class clown kind of. Right. Not not like mean, cool boys. They're just no. generally quite well-liked. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, at an age where like it's pretty separated, the boys and girls yeah. of the class typically. Yeah. Um, their names are Toby and Ken, and they act like, okay, we clearly have some leverage here because you don't want anyone to know about this. You snuck away to be here. Um, We're not sure what we're going to do with that information. But then Elizabeth invites them to join the game. Mm. And they uh, agree. Toby is much more into it than Ken is. But he says, yeah, come on. We got to see what this is all about. Yeah. And Toby is like, clearly Ken is following Toby kind of. Yes. Yeah, Toby is of a similar kind to Melanie and April. Yeah. He yeah. is also interested in learning about the weird, dark details of ancient Egypt and then acting them out. Yeah. Um, so Toby and Ken join their group, and at first it's awkward, and April and Melanie are like, how can we really throw ourselves into our rituals and our, you know, play acting yeah, when they're with just them like watching? Watching, yeah. Yeah, but Toby throws himself in just as seriously, and Ken, even though he feels really uncomfortable, also takes part, but he he gets into it. He gets into it. At this point, they decide to create an oracle. They're learning about oracles at school, and Toby and April and Melanie are immediately like, yes, we need to introduce this into Egypt. So they create a Thoth oracle and ask it a question. They take turns being the question asker or the high priest, high priestess, And Ken writes down a question. It says, will I be a big league star someday? They put it in the beak and they all go home. They come back after school. By this point, parents have softened and are letting them go out and play again. And there is a mysterious quote written on the back. It says, man is his own star and that soul who can be honest is the only perfect man. Everyone is half freaked out, half accusatory. They're like, who did this? Who wrote this on here? But they're also like, it sounds weird. It doesn't sound like a kid could make it up. And the handwriting is small and jittery and Mm -hmm. strange. And so they try again with another question. And there is another mysterious answer written on the back. So at this point, they decide, okay, we're going to be really careful about no at this point they say I don't want to do this anymore like they yeah, get they're stressed getting kind of freaked out yeah and are like who is doing this I mean granted there is still a murderer on the loose yeah. it, makes, it 
keeps making me think of the gorilla from episode two of Over the Garden Wall. Like, and there's a gorilla in <laughs> It's gorilla on the loose. It's just like an aside to anything anyone says. Yeah. Um, and at that point, Marshall loses security. Uh, he is super sad. There was a big rainstorm yeah. that night and they all fled Egypt and went home And they're trying to figure out, okay, where could he be? What's going on? He's not at school the next day, and he's not at Egypt the next day. So they decide they're going to ask the Oracle one more question, and Marshall insists that the question be, where is security? Yeah. They put it in the beak and come back the next day, and on the back of the note, it says, look under Seth's throne. And Marshall reaches in and pulls out security. And he's fine. <laughs> and he's good, but people are scared. Yeah. They don't <laughs> like that. And again, are feeling like there's real power at work. And they're saying, you know, why is it so ridiculous that we've tapped into an oracle when in these other cultures, right. pe- you know, huge groups of people were led by what oracles said. Like, there is this vein of the unknown and we've tapped into it potentially in the same way yeah yeah so one night april is watching marshall because melanie and her parents went to a concert at the university and she realizes that she doesn't have one of her textbooks and that she left it at egypt that day so she takes Marshall and they go to egypt to get the book back they find it And then as they're leaving, April is violently grabbed by the murderer. The murderer. It's really, really terrifying. And I never suspected uh, the professor for a second. No, it's an obvious, you know, Scooby-Doo situation. Yeah, it's a red herring. And Marshall is looking at April through the fence. She's on the other side, but he can't say anything. He's too scared. So he turns to the professor's store, and April sees him do this. And then there's a crash at the window, and a feeble voice calls, help, help. Yeah. And then other people show up. Yeah. So they go to the police station, and Marshall says he does know who the man was. He recognizes him, and it was not the professor, as the neighborhood and the police are very eager to pin. Yeah. Uh, they really want to say that it was the professor. Um, and Marshall knows that it was a man who works at the supermarket. Yeah. Um, so he is apprehended and confesses and the murderer is locked away and they will talk about this but they say he he is not going to trial he is very very sick and he is going to a hospital for the criminally insane which yeah 1967 <laughs> sounds about right yeah and i mean i'm not i'm not uh anti-institutionalization but like we need to have the system to have facilities that are like actually places of like uh, medical treatment and uh, yeah. human rights rather yeah. than either like sanatoriums or uh, prisons. <laughs> yes. So at this point, it is almost Christmas and the kids are 
concerned because the alley in the alley Egypt, the loose board has just been totally nailed up and the whole scene is kind of shut down and they're like, okay, can we even go back? Do we even want to? Is it going to feel the same? Everybody knows Mm -hmm. about it now. And also April has trauma. And April has trauma as does Marshall. Um, But the professor says that he wants to talk to all of them. So on Christmas Eve, he comes over and they all have cookies and cider together. And he tells them, it sounds really nice. And he tells them his story, which is that his, he and his wife, his wife was an artist interested in uh, primitive art and anthropological art. And they would travel the world studying different civilizations. And she was killed in a local uprising in some place. There are no specifics. And... Mm -hmm. Since then, he came back to the antique store, which they had started together as a way to showcase some of the incredible art and different things they found around the world. But he had no desire to be with other people and had kind of lost his interest in life as a whole. So he let it fall into disrepair. He never talked to anyone, just kind of lived out his days in there. But when they started playing the Egypt game, he would watch through a little hole in the curtain in the window and see their rituals and the goings on. And it was him who wrote the answer to where is security? Because when they ran away in the rain that night, he saw that security had been left out in the rain. So he, so put he moved him away. under Seth's temple and, left, uh, and then left the note because he became worried that he had put him in a place that was too difficult. Yeah, that they wouldn't be able to find him. It's like the old Easter basket conundrum. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The kids are getting angry. (laughs) Clues, clues. Where's my candy? (laughs) And he tells them that he has six keys for them and he made these beautiful keys that are each engraved with their names that work on the padlock that is on the side, the other side of the little back lot. So yeah. they can have Egypt all to themselves. And it's safe. And his shop is busy again. People are coming and checking him out and buying things. Elizabeth's mom starts working there and his life has really turned around. Um, yeah. It was Toby who wrote the answers to the other questions yeah. with quotes from his dad's quote books. Yeah. 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 Kind of an aside at this point, but we get that figured out as well. The kids go back, but they feel like this game is over. I think we did everything we wanted. And also it had a very jarring end. So let's do something different. And they propose starting the gypsy game, which the second book picks up immediately after the events of the first book. So it's a real continuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, this wasn't really thought of this way at the time, I guess, but gypsy is uh, more often thought of as a slur today. <laughs> yes. It should be the Romani game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we will refer to it as Romani, but we're not going to cover uh, that yeah. book probably. Okay. Um, and we, yeah, we're not going to talk thank about Thank you for saying today. that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. For sure. And April decides she's going to stay with her grandmother. Her mom sends her a way too little, too late note saying, we're going to go to Palm Springs for a few days at Christmas. God, her mom Why don't you so come? Bad. Yeah. <laughs> and April says, no. 
And it almost seems like it's like a honeymoon phase of their relationship where they want to like pretend they have a kid again. Yeah. Uh, her and her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's the plot of the Egypt game. Old and new impressions. Do you want to go first since I just yeah. talked a lot? Yeah. Um, so I didn't remember this book too well. I definitely read it before. It was always around and, and Grace was always reading it. Like I remember that I read it too because I was intrigued by this book that Grace was so gripped by. And I definitely connected with it more as an adult, um, especially because, I mean, I could connect with it from an angle of like me and Grace and Patrick played like these types of games a lot. Um, but I didn't, I don't know, maybe I read it once I was closer to the time where I just like stopped having friends. So that was, so I like wasn't really interested in stories like that for a while where it was like, okay, well, but this just bums me out that I don't have friends or like know how to connect with my peers. (laughs) Um, but as an adult, I did like really, really enjoy this. Um, and the uh, just the way that the kids were able to get along instead of having that trope in books about mm-hmm. kids these age of them just like being so super toxic to each other and mm-hmm. like they're they like rib each other and stuff in this but yeah. it's it's much more um it's pretty healthy yeah and it's normal. it's like normal it's and not cool. kids yeah mm-hmm. yeah which i appreciated because my my tolerance for like Cruelty at the moment is kind of low. Um, and uh, so I liked their relationships with each other. And I really liked that uh, Marshall always got to tag along. Like that made me really happy. Um, and uh, and was just as valued as the other members of the yeah, group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I definitely did still relate to April when I was younger because I um, also often felt just like pissed off at the stuff around me, especially once I like was at puberty. So I, mm-hmm. I totally got April. Um, but I also remember just being kind of like, well, April has friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I I liked the depiction of the relationships between kids and adults in it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was pretty realistic, and I'm impressed that it was written in the '60s because other from other than like a few tip offs that I now like see, um, I didn't necessarily get that impression because it is kind of like a timeless story. I just assumed mm-hmm. it was sometime before smartphones. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, in so... It's like all the best mysteries. <laughs> right. In so many stories, like in horror movies or, yeah, like just lots of mystery stuff, you have to get rid of the phones first because yeah. they wreck get everything. Get the cell phones out of here. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, remote horror still works quite well with that because we mm-hmm. don't have cell phone service in the deep woods. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyways, so that, that was something else cool about it and I think is important to think about as like it is possible to write a modern uh, fantasy mm-hmm. story that kids can still connect with because 60, that, what was that like 50 plus years ago? It's a long time ago. I definitely did connect with it through the the Egypt angle as well because I mm-hmm. thought ancient Egypt that we already discussed like how we got into it. Um, but I think that the study of ancient civilizations is like particularly interesting so like this is me today reading it uh as an adult like as someone who's who's watching in real time uh like states declining 
Um, and by, by states, I don't mean like um, American states. I mean like yeah. state entities, like governmental entities that are yeah. like ruling uh, society. Structures. Yeah. Established structures. structures. Yeah. Um, just like really declining in very clear ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's comforting to look back and think about like how many... Uh, human civilizations and quite possibly older civilizations that were like hundreds of millions of years ago and there can be no fossil record left of them um, just because like if you go back before the dinosaurs there's still like hundreds of millions of years uh, of just like not fossil record we don't really know what was going on we can guess but it's all like very simple what we can Mm -hmm. guess uh, because I was watching this really cool video about this um because the if you go far back enough, then the movement is seismic. Like you're you're talking like things from the top of the planet moving down into like hundreds and hundreds of miles down deep into the Earth's crust because you're having this like tectonic movement. Yeah. So there could be like whole evolved civilizations that we never will like have a way to know about. So that's really comforting too, uh, in, in light of like thinking about a civilization, like having been past its peak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons ancient Egypt and learning about ancient civilizations is so appealing to kids is because I think it's a manageable way to begin to acknowledge your own, infinitesimal importance and um, especially when you look at a civilization like ancient Egypt that had so many fate like our country as we know it is like 300 years old so young yeah yeah and when you actually study uh, different Egyptian periods um, and you see how society did manage to endure in spite of wild stuff. Overwhelming religious, political, and Mm. cultural shifts. Yeah. Um, I mean, here in the United States, we're dealing with a lot less. Uh, We're basically just returning to the fundamentalist values that have always been deep-rooted in our country as a whole. Seeped into all of our structures and culture. None of us said, like, oh, you know what? I'm connected to the sun god, so, like, now everything is going to be structured around that, and everyone's name is going to have Aten at the end. Right, right. And you're responsible for building a just, like, a fleet of massive, massive mm-hmm. statues to commemorate my uh, reign, like nothing that we've seen in modern times. And, you know, I think that the the burning of the Library of Alexandria is an excellent example of how humanity really just, just kneecaps itself. <laughs> we can't do it. Yeah. yeah. We, really, we cannot get it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We moved on from burning libraries to burning the entire planet, so there's hey, no yeah. way. We no do way know how to one up ourselves. <laughs> you thought that was bad, baby? Yeah. Check this out. Yeah. I've already said a lot of my old impressions too, but this really took me back really powerfully to a neighborhood we lived in from when I was like um, six to 11. So like the bulk of my very memorable portion of childhood. And uh, we would play uh, 
games with the other kids who lived in the neighborhood. Yeah. And this was a time when I also did not have... um, This was my period of not having friends at school. Mm. Um, Even there was some neighbor kids who didn't want to be my friend at school because of my... Um, social pariah status but when you're in the neighborhood and everyone is just out like running around you can get up to all kinds of hijinks and fun and it's a great equalizer yeah and the way that the kids of different ages could come together and be united by this imagining because if um, you have tons of kids then capture the flag is so much fun Oh my gosh, we had some (laughs) wild Capture the Flag games. And with a few of our neighbors who we were closer to, we would also have pretty involved pretend stories. And we would assign like real menace to like certain cars that were Mm -hmm. going down the street or like, yeah, just like a specific tree. Or like, do you remember our area where we had with Charlie leading up to the bus stop at the top of the street? We each had our like little like totem section. Yeah, like our little individual pavilions. Yeah. Um, and like, it was the same thing of creating your own magic. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it really taps into that for me. The last piece of impressions I wanted to mention, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but for those who haven't heard that episode, Madeline and her brother Patrick and I had a long running game that we just called Detectives yeah. that is... Exactly like the Egypt game in terms of, you know, form and function. Yeah. Um, the specifics were different and we did not use any real civilization as a guide. But No, because it was like a multiverse or at least like mm-hmm. a wormhole type situation. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it was a little too much wherever. for that. We could <laughs> do anything, be anywhere. Yeah. And any time. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Um, But the piece of detectives that was so exciting was when we would get to a point where, you know, the reality we had created, it was it was totally self-made and self-perpetuated. But you would sometimes get a little scared, like, you'd you know, there'd be like a villain around the corner, like a mysterious person who just ran up. Or you'd find like these really exciting like berries or something that you'd never seen before. (laughs) Yeah. And it felt like you had actually, just like the kids said, accessed this vein of the supernatural of power that that wasn't possible unless you were really deeply rooted in your own imaginings. Which is Um, how like magic actually works mm -hmm. as someone who's very interested in like pagan rituals and modern magic and stuff like that. Like that's, you you have to like make it be real with your own energy. Exactly. And then you can transcend. And we really did transcend. And that's what they're doing with the Egypt game. Yeah. So it was really fun to think about that and revisit that. So that's why it's fantasy. Don't add us. Exactly. And there is a fascinating essay that I only read a little of. I'm definitely going to read the whole thing. Um, That is by Kathleen Martin, and it is called Role-Playing in Children's Literature, 
subtitles, Zulfa Keatley Snyder and the Egypt game. And it is her argument that this book is overlooked in discussion of what has inspired Dungeons and Dragons ah. and what helped lead to its creation. Right. That's what because I keep coming back to. Because most people talk about older classic high fantasy like yeah. Tolkien. Yeah. Um, and they use that for some specific game elements, but she points to specifics about how the Egypt game uh, created like a historical moment in role playing right. history. Because you have that kind of like structure of uh, who your characters are, what world they're in, like what's right. possible, who the antagonists are. Like that, right. that is very, that's, it, I keep coming back to like this book's so old. And it, like the type of role playing, like D and D, when it, when did the first D and D like codified manual come out? I'm curious. So D and D was technically created in 1974. It's it's really interesting, and there's a line from the introduction that I really liked, which is I. Uh, place Snyder's The Egypt Game and discussions about role-playing through an analysis of four key elements of the form of play found in the novel, which reveals how imaginative gameplay overcomes the culturally constructed obstacles of gendered play and racial homogeneity. This children's book from the 60s outlines how role-playing games can provide, even in this day and age, when questions of race and gender are ubiquitous in the news, it's a funny sentence, a performative space of equality, acceptance, and freedom for children. Yeah. Which is really fascinating to think about, and this mirrors what we've been saying about the Egypt game involving these kids of different ages and ethnicities and bringing together kids that wouldn't necessarily be spending time together in the first place. And they gain a lot from one another. Yeah, yeah. They just need to have that common ground to bring them together, like you're talking about with the night games. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to go to night games very often because I was young. But I did, like, towards (laughs) the end, before we moved, I did get to go more. But I just have, like, a flashbulb memory of me sitting on the stairs crying and you leaving and mom just being like, you're too little, it's dark out. <laughs> Which, like, I get. And they also, well, they also got, like, pretty violent. Not intentionally so, but we, like, went they all were, out yeah, and whatever we were doing. Some and of the most athletic activities. injuries. Yeah. Um, some of the most yeah. athletic activities I've ever participated in my life. Well, we with Charlie would play games of sharks and minnows oh, that involved us like full brutal. on bodily tackling each or other. Or Red Rover. Red Rover got pretty real. I think though there was a point where we were not allowed to play. Red yes, Rover yeah, anymore. I think it was banned because it was so violent. Because like our wrists and were going to get also, broken and people were face planting. Was the <laughs> was the game called Pop Up where you throw a ball as hard oh, as you can, as high in the sky yeah. as you can? And then I think you call out who has to catch it and then they have to tag everyone or like hit everyone else with right. the ball. Yeah. No, and Capture the Flag got pretty real too. Like there were yeah. some tackle tags. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And then putting everyone in the jail when they got caught and like breaking out and knocking each other down. Well, those are some good memories. Thank you for reminding me. It was really fun. Yeah. I know you were young enough that they're probably not like super strong in your mind. But um, I, I do remember like for the last year or two before we moved, I think, because we moved when I was like seven yeah. or eight. 
Yeah. 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 And I think having that period when we'd play when it was twilight in the summer also lent some of the magic in making it feel like a special time and place. Yeah. No, for sure. And there's that rolling hill park with the train station, Mm -hmm. the Baskin Robbins Mm -hmm. is not very far away. Mm-hmm. I can still taste yeah. the watermelon flavored ice cream that had these like horrible little <laughs> candy so seeds in it that were like We're kind so of bubblegum. They were just were chalk. They? I think they Ugh. were like really, really cheap bubblegum. So what it was just they? like super chalky. Yeah. And they, they were watermelon flavored and the ice cream was watermelon flavored, but they tasted <laughs> different. <laughs> I I think too. I it's a perfect timing for me to read this book. I'm I'm feeling really nostalgic because I just drove from Seattle to uh, Central Pennsylvania, and I was in the Chicago suburbs for the first time in almost four years. And oh, wow. um, it was I, just like the portion of the drive going through Wisconsin into Chicago uh, was so intense because it's like. There's the first place I ever went skiing. Mm. There's Great Wolf, the water park where I had my first panic attack. Oh, wow, yeah. There's Rockford. Like, there there were just so many, um, which is where our grandparents lived. Uh, Yeah, there were just so many things where the emotional experience is still strong, but I haven't thought about them in a long time. Yeah. That's um, why I'm nervous about going back. We're, but we're going to visit our sister, so it's going to be a lovely time, but I just We're like, going to have fun. Can we, maybe we can go flip off the Jesus statue on my old middle school. Is that, is that clean? <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> yeah. Leaving that in. <laughs> I mean, it, nothing would make me happier. I would love to do that. All right. It's, it's a plan. The last thing I want to mention for new impressions, and then I guess we'll just kind of skip ahead to the end because we've talked about a lot um, and there's no romantic realism or animals except for Pete. Um, This is a semi-frequently banned book, even though it is a noob. Um, Why? It has been challenged or banned in multiple school libraries. Parents didn't like the fact that it depicted trespassing, (laughs) magic ceremonies, and worship of Egyptian gods. Oh, my God. Those lamos. Lying lying to parents, which I do have a quibble with because the kids are actually really careful about lying to their parents and they feel really bad about it. And it's a very safe thing to do. Like, would you prefer they go to like the rail yard or like the parking lot behind the gas station? (laughs) This isn't a life is strange situation. Yeah. Like this is a pretty wholesome way to like sneak out and hang out with your friends. Like for sure. Yeah. Um, There's no drugs involved. No. Um, only magic, magic. <laughs> uh, and the murder of a young girl, which mm. I do want to talk about this. Um, <laughs> wait, before I get onto that, this person said, it's also curious. The challengers didn't say anything about the copious use of matches to create ceremonial fires <laughs> and the embalming <laughs> and the embalming of a dead parakeet. <laughs> well, whatever. That's not hurting anyone. It's dead. No, they're, they're, they're joking. Oh, Cause okay. this, they're, they're arguing that it's actually Stupid. a book that like models a lot of good behavior. Yeah. Um, they're really interested in learning. They're taking care of each other. Like they're really They're thoughtful. looking out for each other. 
they also are finding ways to embrace the like more outsidery components of themselves right. that they're not comfortable sharing socially yeah. in their larger social setting at school. Um, so it's like a way for them to nurture their true hidden selves. Like right. that's incredible. How valuable is that? And, it's, and about, it's so freeing to be able to tap into. And it's kids from really different social strata too, which is pretty cool yes. to see in a book. And I think that's super healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Kids are they, so clicky. Yeah, they all have really different places at school. And so the way they can unite to do a ritual for a dead parakeet's embalming yeah. is pretty incredible. It's great. So I do want to talk about the murder of the girl. Um, there's also a kind of casual mention at that point that, you know, people said it. this was the second time this had happened. It, it also happened to a little boy, like, not too long ago. Um, and I think it's really important that this is included in the book. And I think it's really interesting that there is a children's book in which there is very significant real danger. Mm -hmm. Because that also tapped into something that was very intense for me when I was a kid. Um, because I was very... very very serious about stranger danger once we <laughs> started having that at school, which starts really young. Like I think in preschool, we talked young. about stranger yeah. danger, which like, of course it makes sense. You want your kids to be safe. And when we were children, I think we grew up in a very interesting period of time where parenting approaches were changing mm -hmm. and the extent to which the world was a safe place for kids to just go out and play and be in mm -hmm. was also changing. Yeah. And that, you know, has been happening for decades. Right. Um, yeah. But I think the 90s were a kind of key time where, like, we were allowed to just go out into the neighborhood. As, um, like, young kids. It was really healthy, and I gained a lot from having that sense of relative independence and you also become more careful because of it. Like and we, we being also, allowed to do that makes you more thoughtful. Yeah. And we, we lived in like a privileged suburb and the, the houses were big, very like America white picket fence. So like we, it, it was like relatively safe for us to be doing stuff like that. It's just really important. And I don't think that's really very possible for kids in the same way anymore. Um, but also parents are just more anxious about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, all of this is to say stranger danger really freaked me out. If like an adult ever talked to me ever, I would literally just run away from them if I didn't know who they were. Um, and we would like, uh, if, if we got left in the car for a sec, um, like when dad ran into the bank or whatever, we would like duck and like hide ourselves if people walked by. Yeah. If anyone came past, we would try to hide, um, because we thought they'd like do something or also that we would like be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, yeah. And if they and had then kids, it, then we would be like, oh, okay. They're, they're probably safer. They're safe. Because yeah, they're in charge of children that. and they're not murdering them. So we would always <laughs> say that they're safe. They're not going to kidnap us. Cause they um, have their own kids to worry about. <laughs> I'm like, this is probably an early manifestation of our various anxiety disorders yeah. more than anything else. But, yeah. but like 
that was a very real campaign, Stranger Danger, and you had to watch really scary videos at school. The 90s were a time of a lot of, um, like, tech started to get pretty real, and it was way ahead. It was the beginning of the internet being frightening. Right, because, it, like, right away, of course, it became a really easy to pr- way to prey on vulnerable vulnerable people like scamming seniors and uh, um, people who didn't speak English well or like talking to kids when you're way too old to be doing that and like you know so that that was also changing a lot of like because if the computer was at home that was Mm -hmm. a big deal like the the danger is inside your home as opposed to outside the home. Yeah, although weirdly at the same time, the internet was also safer than it would ever be. Yeah, like that was enough. when it was still kind of just like a fun place Goof where around it's like, it. yeah. you have a chat with somebody and, then, and yeah. do a little Yahoo search. Like, yeah, Neopets, Neopets, that Willy Wonka Neopets, online. And site. it was so much less common to be hacked yeah. or to have any Doxed. kind of, or doxed yeah. or even viruses. Like were so rudimentary at that point, and I even like um, I I played rudimentary um, MMOs like uh, mm-hmm. what RuneScape. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I played a decent amount of, and so like you you could like talk to people, and but I I never got into a dodgy situation on it. Like I was always just kind of derping around, and everybody was derping around, and it just was like it felt like a pretty safe place. Yeah, and we played a lot of Neopets, and granted, that was intended for kids, and there were a lot of rules in place to try to keep things safe. Yeah, it was pretty um, easy to get banned. Uh, um, but yeah, there was never any danger there. But anyway, a girl getting killed feels appropriate to be in a children's book. I, maybe that on its surface, that sounds like a ridiculous statement, but that happens yeah, all the time. Yeah, and it's very real, and kids have to deal with that all the time. So like, and why they, can't we put it in a book that's about and for kids? Right. Let them, I, I, of course, I don't think like as soon as your child gains like some level of consciousness, <laughs> yeah, be like, here's all the, the horrifying stuff that you have to avoid throughout your entire life. But but getting knowing you f- about this, like, well, let me, here, let me get this thought out because I'm struggling with it a little. Sorry. It makes it it makes it more possible to acknowledge your own reality and like fully come to terms with it by seeing both the good and the bad. And it feels like you're being gaslit by society. If it's like, okay, your kid just like run along and be in your nice little playpen. Like you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Like you do, you do need to be aware of these things. Like, and I, I, I definitely worried too much and more than any child should. Um, but I think that some level of awareness from a young age is really important. So yeah. I'm glad that there was a really serious event that took place. Yeah. I mean, like, because childhood is also a time when you start becoming familiar with, like, the kinds of trauma that you're going to be dealing with your whole life. And, like, it's yeah. it's better to start getting familiar as opposed to just being in a place where it's like, this doesn't happen. Like, how could this yeah, happen? This I, doesn't happen. I, I, I never thought that that could happen. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second book, The Gypsy Game, is all about like family custody. <laughs> That's the like difficult plot. Continues of that, to so. be real stuff. <laughs> yeah, real stuff. Okay. So, wow. This is kind of an unfocused episode in some ways, but. 
lots to say. And we're meeting um, from across the country. And this is our first separate physically episode other than the rough one we did when Madeline had COVID where it sounded like a potato, but that's okay. We're learning. I we mean, have better setups now. Lots of podcasts do like relaxed fit episodes where they're mm-hmm. like, we're, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna have what we usually do, but it's going to be looser. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think we've covered why we do feel that this is fantasy. I, I just, God, this book really spoke to me and it makes the magic feel more real because it is created by kids and it is a part of our world. It's accessible. And that's another piece of them delving into ancient Egypt and talking about the oracles and how this thread of magic is there. It's in our own written history, like our recorded Mm -hmm. history. Um, So why shouldn't we be able to access it? That's just so empowering and it's so valuable. And the Egypt Egypt game, Egypt that they go to could be called escapism, but along the way they are learning so much and growing so much and really like becoming fully realized people. So all of that gets back to why I feel fantasy is incredibly valuable. And I love Zelda Keeley Snyder's works that really tread the line between a more straightforward, you know, just children's fiction story and a fantasy story because the witches of worm does the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they both send a little, a little chill down my spine, yeah. a thrill and a chill. A little, a little bit spooky. That's, that's how I love my media, just a little bit spooky. I agree. <laughs> so we'll kind of skip animals, just like animals, animals in this book. What animals in this book? It's mostly just Pete. I love the, the dead name they give him. Pete Prince Hotep. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is in vain with Marsha Moses, also a very cute name, yeah. and whom they attempt to embalm and do. I mean, Toby yeah. does his best to. I love the it's oil. So funny, when I love he's the like, oil. I learn how I'm going to learn how to mummify this bird, yeah. and then the next day he's like, "Okay, mummification is too complicated." Yeah, and when he says. We have to take out the guts. Elizabeth is like, no. Yeah. And then Ken is like, it probably doesn't really have any guts. Anyway, look how small it is. <laughs> Kids making mummies. This is the kind of content I want. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, and they use... Um, like a, a seed oil because they say that the bird liked seeds. Very cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. And have a really amazing ritual. Yeah. And that's, cute. that's like what ritual magic is all about is you just have to develop it. It has to mean something to you. And then you have to be capable of repeating it so that it can continue to like grow in strength and significance. Yeah, and I could read a million books about kids making their own rituals and through it their own magical it. world. I, it's just the best. I strive to like put magical rituals into everything in my life because it just mm-hmm. makes, just gives it me helps. more serotonin, um, which really is always the goal. Uh, yeah, it just like why not make life like just you can do it. Like I understand that now. I didn't understand that when I was like a teenager. You can do it. Yeah, and I like stopped reading fantasy for years because it made me too sad because it was like, I can't have this. It isn't real. And then I got mature enough where I realized that, yeah, you can do it. You just make it yourself. And then there it is. (sighs) 
Yay. Yay. Rallying cry as we head into the second half of this garbage year. Year. I don't I don't even know how to describe time anymore. It's yeah. just a flood of pain, but we are going to find our moments of joy and we're going to take advantage of them. That's what, yeah, I was just telling Nick that like, you know, that we got a lot of World War Three alarms blaring. So like, I just want to be acknowledging the, of the fact that like really bad stuff could be happening and or it is happening, but really bad stuff could be coming. Uh, and so we just need to do as best as we can to like yeah. find good don't things. Don't forget about about the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, because Even more important. If we're miserable all the time, like what difference does it make? Absolutely. I have been saying a lot. You only get one life. Mm-hmm. And those are it's a very basic phrase, but it means a lot to me. It helps me both like focus on my mortality and also appreciate each day. Um and books like this really help with that. Yeah. So yeah, I think Silfa, Keatley Snyder. We're also gonna kind of skip pretend food. It was really just like cookies, right? There, there was milk. Yeah, and cider. Yeah, we did food was not part of their rituals very often. N- never, actually. Yeah, I never. don't think. Yeah. Um, the only food sounding thing was the onion skin paper they found and made into little scrolls so that they could record the ritual so they didn't keep having to think up the steps. That also really took me back to detectives yes. when we would like have to do the same thing again. We'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't remember how I did it. And then we have to like pause kind of while we talk through yep. what's going to yeah. happen And next. like probably create our own document of Which some again, kind. right there, D&D, like that yeah. literally is a role playing game. For sure. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I'll link that piece on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, so that everybody can check it out. Yeah. So let's go right into Badass Ladies. I think my Badass Lady is going to have to be uh, Melanie. I'm surprised. I, I felt that you, that April really resonated with you. She does, but I'm also not like fully accepting of that part of myself yet. So it's hard for me to like get totally on that train. Um, I still got some stuff to work out. <laughs> I got you. Um, so that's why I'm going with Melanie because she's just like a very peaceful and soothing presence mm-hmm. um, who is like very good at bringing people together um, and being diplomatic. Uh, she's she's a little too much of a people pleaser probably. Um, so like that really resonates with me as well. I am giving Melanie... Uh, I, I just want to give her like friends and happiness. And like, I hope that she continues to have an exciting childhood. That's good. And there's good things in it. Despite the fact that like, you know, she's also coming from some tough stuff. Yeah. Fewer murders would be great. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll pick April as her pairing. Um, she's a really cool, fun character and she's very complex and I love the way that she sort of waits it out when she meets a new adult and kind of stares at them and tries to make them uncomfortable and to see how they respond. Like she really challenges people and she finds a new family and also makes the most of being like full on abandoned by her mom in kind of the worst way because her mom says it's temporary but it becomes clear that it is not 
My rating for April is a glamorous, massive pair of cat eye black sunglasses because I feel like they'd really complete her look. For sure. And just like the little illustrations of her with her updo (laughs) add some glasses on there. And she's essentially Brigitte Bardot. So (laughs) that's what I'm that's what I'm wishing for her. I love her flair for drama and fashion. And she's just kind of wise beyond her years. Yeah, absolutely. So that's everything for The Egypt Game by Zilpha Keeley Snyder. Thank you so much for listening. We are going to be back soon. We'll see if we can maintain a schedule now that I'm done with my endless immigration journey. Endless journey. That drive was so long. Yeah. Our next book is going to be The Goose Girl by Shannon Hale. I've heard a lot of things about this. Honk, (laughs) indeed. Um, It's been requested by a few listeners, so really curious to check it out. Yeah, excited to see what it's all about. Yeah. You can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on our Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and our Twitter at dragonbabiespod. We'll put up... Some covers, some stuff about the book, some tidbits. Um, so follow us. And I have an Instagram. It's called Pig and Doodles. It's my handle, P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. I post my art um, and a lot of stories about my emotions and also my art. <laughs> you want to get to know Madeline? Here's your way in. Yep. Uh, but yeah, check me out. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.